The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org. So what is fatherhood? Here's an interesting story about a father and his son. The old man lived alone in Kentucky. He wanted to dig over his potato garden, but it was very hard work. His only son, who used to help him, was in prison. The old man wrote to his son, Dear son, I'm feeling pretty bad because it looks like I won't be able to plant my potato garden this year. I'm just getting too old to be digging up a garden plot. If you were here, all my troubles would be over. I know you would dig that plot for me. Love, Dad. A few days later, he received a letter from his son. Dear Dad, for heaven's sakes, Dad, don't dig up that garden. That's where I hid the bodies your loving son. At 4 a.m. the next morning, the FBI agents and local police showed up and dug up the entire area without finding the bodies. They apologized to the old man and left. The next day, the old man received another letter from his son. Dear Dad, Go ahead and plant the potatoes now. That's the best thing I could do under the circumstances. Love, Bubba. Now, I'd bet that this Kentucky father had not planned on his son being in prison, just like hundreds of thousands of fathers in this country. But I'd bet he did give his son a special kind of loving during the boy's early years. If you give your children special loving, you can never tell what kind of special love you will receive back. I feel kind of qualified to preach this morning. I have hit the trifecta. I've been a boy, I've been a man, and I've been a grandfather. For me, this is gratitude day for all the blessings in my life that are derived directly from fatherhood. I am one of the enormously lucky ones who has always loved being a dad. I also know that many sons do not have a father who loved him nurturingly. Fifty. That's the number of Father's Days I've been at the receiving end of the recognition of this special day. I just made it under the wire. My daughter was born on June 8th, 1972, a week or so before Father's Day. She had just come home from Mercy Hospital in Miami, just in time to make the celebration authentic.
My wife and I had made the decision to use cloth diapers as our contribution toward environmental concerns over disposable ones. What a messy decision that was. <laughs> we had one of those diaper pails, the kind you open by stepping on a foot lever at the bottom. These things are probably obsolete now. And by the time our second child was born, three years later, we decided that the environment could handle the number of disposable diapers that we would need and decided to throw the diaper pail away. It's a lot of work to take care of a newborn. And though I tried to be an equal partner in parenting, I must confess that I never did fulfill 50% of the work at home. For one thing, one very, very big thing, I didn't have to get up in the middle of the night to breastfeed. At the beginning, I did, to keep my wife company. But that didn't last very long. I once read a story about a Kenyan father. This man was 84 years old and had fathered his last child when he was 77. When interviewed, he was uncertain as to the number of children he had fathered. His, he estimated that the number was about 160. Of course, many of them had different mothers, since this man was married over 100 times. He also claims to have been divorced 30 times. So I'm not sure if I have great admiration for this man, or if I think he is slow to learn from experience. What is the point of being a father in America these days? The idea from old agrarian times of having many children as a way of ensuring yourself care in your old age no longer fits in our culture. I would certainly like to believe that when couples marry, their decision to have children represents a high point in their marriage and reflects their love and commitment to each other. That the child is the physical embodiment of that love. A father wants to continue his lineage through his children and to be part of the miracle of passing on a piece of himself through the loving and nurturing of a new being who is filled with potential to carry on the promise of long-held generational dreams. A father wants a child that he can love and take delight in, as in as the power of creation manifests the joys that only a newborn can fulfill, and to instill in that child a knowing of love and purpose that transcends ordinary understanding. Those of us who have been there know that it doesn't always turn out the way a new father wants. Having a child, 
provides the opportunity to renew and remake a man. At times, a father succeeds beyond his imagination. And at times, a father discovers that no matter what he does, he simply is unable to shape the world as he wishes. A father grows through his children, just as a child grows through its father. It's a phenomenon of life. How does a child know it's time to move out into the world and forsake the care of his parents in pursuit of her or his own life purpose? How does a father know that it is time for his child to move on into the world independent of him. The poet Cahil Gibran expresses in his poem on children, you are the bows from which your children as living arrows are sent forth. The archer sees the mark upon the path of the infinite and he bends you with his might that his arrows may go swift and far. Let your bending in the archer's hand be for gladness. For even as he loves the arrow that flies, so he loves also the bow that is stable. What father really knows what to do in his role today. Historically, it has been the father's responsibility to provide for the physical needs of the family. Although we know that in our time, many fathers are not providers. We inherently know it is up to us to love, nurture, and guide our children. Although clearly, not every father does so. Time is one of the most valuable things in our lives, and time with our children is one of the most productive ways to use it. Without time, what could we do? How could existence happen? All we have, whether we're fathers or mothers or children, all we have is our physical selves here on the planet and the passage of time. Everything else flows from this, including the nurturing of our children in the hope that they will have a good life. Hope. Hope. Something all fathers embrace for their children. Today, uniquely, is both Father's Day and Juneteenth. Additionally, this represents the first Juneteenth since this congregation adopted the eighth principle. Juneteenth is a celebration of freedom. And as a white guy, I need to educate myself about that. It is not exclusively an African-American holiday. Juneteenth, I think, ought to be an American celebration of hope that our nation will deliver on its promises to every citizen. 
and what American does not need all the hope there is available in these times, in these post-George Floyd times, in these post-Trevor Martin times, in these post-Tops Supermarket Buffalo, New York times. I not only hope for America, I pray for America. So as a white man, I've neither received nor given the talk one hears about between African-American fathers and sons. There is no imagery in my upbringing that is not white. African-Americans have the imagery of black fathers and families to guide them. So we're not the same. Although fatherhood is exactly the same. Boys learn one way or another from their fathers. How can we both be different and the same simultaneously? In his book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, Ibram Kendi writes the following, quote, when I first picked up a basketball at around eight years old, I also picked up on my parents' fears for my black body. My parents hated when I played ball at nearby parks, worried that I'd get shot, and tried to discourage me by warning of the dangers waiting for me out there. In their constant fear-mongering about black drug dealers, robbers, killers, they nurtured in me a fear of my own black neighborhood. When I proposed laying, a concrete, laying concrete in our grassy backyard and putting up a basketball hoop there, my father built a court faster than a house flipper. A nice one, nicer than the courts at the nearby parks. But the new basketball court could not keep me away from my own dangerous black body." Unquote. I am lucky enough to have been symbolically adopted by an African-American family my son married a beautiful African-American woman, and they have three beautiful children, making me a grandfather to black children. At family gatherings where my daughter-in-law's family are present, I get to share firsthand in traditions from their family's past, including a seemingly endless commitment to the ongoing care and nurturing of their whole extended family. I defer to my grandson's other grandfather to share any vital talks about blackness and safety. 
In my mind, that June 19, 1865, when the U.S. Army brought word of emancipation to Galveston, Texas, that was a spark that ignited the burst of freedom that exploded over America four score and nine years after the 1776 revolution. The Emancipation Proclamation did not truly establish equality in America, but it set the mechanism for emancipated fathers to hope for better lives for their children. The newly adopted eighth principle is not an invitation to celebrate. It is a call to action. It is not something to merely know that it's in the book. Congregations such as ours cannot take lightly the responsibility that accompanies the adoption of the eighth principle, covenant to affirm and promote journeying towards spiritual wholeness by working to build a diverse, multicultural, beloved community by our actions that accountably dismantle racism and other oppressions in ourselves and our institutions. What wise words. And so, on this Father's Day, we wish that it be for today and tomorrow and all days thereafter. Happy Father's Day. Happy Juneteenth. Amen. Her hands. I remember her hands as they gathered up the soft fullness of my, my sister's hair my sister's head pulling gently this way and that as she worked. There, on the table beside them, a small glass jar with a white top filled with a thick blue gel. My mother delivers a portion to her palm, holding it just long enough for it to soften. Then she rubs her palms together, releasing the distinctive fragrance. Then she embraces the curly, woolly mass, working portions between her hands, twisting and spreading the gel between those strands until she knows it's time. Releasing one side, she begins convincing the soft mass to transform itself into a thick braid. It seems so soothing and so familiar. I wished I could do that. Over and under and over again, bringing order out of the soft, thick, tangled mass, all while my sister's eyelids slowly opened, then closed. Maybe one day you will, Mom says, and she smiles at me. Flashing forward, I climb a a small ladder and sink into a huge, now quiet, Air Force fighter jet. A jet my father flies, and he's brought me there to see. I imagine his hands on the controls that fill every 
inch of the interior. I pretend I'm pulling back on the U-shaped control column, ever so as that jet fights the air, arcing higher and higher into the sky, all while strapped into a space no larger than a sleeping bag, breathing through a hose, ears covered so that the roar of the wind and engine won't deafen. Then his hands cover mine, mimicking practice moves he's made so many times before. What's it like up there, I ask him. Like you're dreaming, he says. Richard, he says, never forget you can live your dreams, no matter what they say. Years later, I think of more hands as I slowly build my Ancestry.com profile, name after name magically organizing themselves into a web of history. How many hands have I safely passed through in order to stand here in this moment? As names I, I don't know appear and weave themselves into my past, I think back to a time before physicians, before medicine, to a time when all medicines and all were held by folk healers, even as it was common for, for mothers to die in childbirth. I think back to a time when my forefathers, worn out and exhausted, died before their 21st birthday. No doctors, no medicine, only hands, practice hands, passing me, passing us from mothers to fathers to aunts, uncles, friends, known and unknown, safely up through the ages to this point in time, to today. It is a miracle. I try to imagine myself destined to be here this morning, but what was it like before my grandfather's father was conceived? Looking into the future, how does the hymn go? forward through the ages in unbroken line. And so today, I try to pay it forward when I pause long enough to listen to a friend describe how hard it was to break up with his beloved when another isn't sure that he should leave his job and another just wants to talk about how tiring it is to argue, explain, persuade, and persist just to be in this world. I hold those conversations, those frustrations, hopes, and dreams, just as I was held, and I dream of better days. I find my small jar of oil, tape gadab, wait for it to soften, and then I begin to work and wrestle with the challenges that being in this place at this time presents. And as a thick, soft braid emerges from my hands, I remember another line from that old hymn. Prophets have proclaimed it. Martyrs testified. This day, as I wrestle with my own braided moment, I hold fast to the example of those who have held me, and I commit again to that which they have passed on to me. I remember that somewhere, Sometime in a distant past, an ancestor hears that better days would come 
and I hold on because I was meant to be here now. And the hymn promises, not alone we conquer, not alone we fall. In each loss or triumph, lose or triumph all. <laughs> 